netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. Thanks for listening to the FX Podcast. I'm John Montgomery. Before we begin, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsor of this podcast, and that's Fusion and Blackmagic Design. Of course, Fusion is their node-based VFX and motion graphics tool. Mike, Jeff, and I have been big fans of Blackmagic over the years, and we really appreciate the support in helping us do what we do here at FX Guide. Uh, their support is critical, along with our individual FX Insider members. Now, uh, while recently acquired by Blackmagic, Fusion's actually been around for a good long time, well over 25 years, and used on a lot of Hollywood blockbusters, uh, things recently such as Marking, Mockingjay Part 2, uh, The Martian, and Ant-Man, as well as a lot of episodic TV, including one of my favorite TV shows, uh, Orphan Black. Uh, one cool thing is that uh, Fusion 8.2 was released just last month, which adds Linux support to the existing Mac and Windows version. That's a big deal, obviously, for facilities. And, of course, the base version of Fusion is still available for free, uh, and their $995 studio version uh, adds things like unlimited render nodes, stereoscopic tools, and more. All right, so big thanks to them. Once again, we really appreciate it, and uh, thank you for your support. Our subject this week is Deepwater Horizon, and Mike's going to be speaking with VFX supervisor Craig Hammock from ILM about the work on the film. Uh, Actually, Mike, let me know one fun fact. Um, Craig actually used to sit next to Matt Wallen, who's on our VFX show here at FX Guide uh, at ILM back in the day. Uh, Craig's been at ILM for a good long time, so I really appreciate him taking the time to chat with us. Let's go ahead and cross that conversation now. So, Craig, thanks so much for joining us. You're actually in Australia, which is unusual. You've uh, you've come here, obviously, uh, to work on a film, and you're up in what Queensland at the moment. I am. I'm at uh, uh, Broadbeach, I believe, is what it's what it's called. Um, we're shooting at the uh, Village Roadshow Studios down the street. Excellent. But what I want to talk to you about was uh, Deepwater and uh, Deepwater Horizon. I really enjoyed it as a uh, as a film, but I was kind of fascinated to know how one went about um, sort of putting on a film of this scope, given that we're so familiar with the material from the disaster, which was really not that long ago. Um, when did you first get involved with the project? Well, actually, it, it, was, not too, um, it was not too long before the, the shooting started. Um, there, was a, there was a different uh, kind of path for the project uh, that was being developed. Um, and then uh, J.C. Chandler, the director that was involved, uh, left the project, and, and Pete Berg got involved. Uh, and then he has some history with us, you know, through some some previous movies, and um, and got us involved. But really, it was only uh, a month or two before a shooting started. I really like the films that Pete Berg has made. He's done some really interesting uh, films, and uh, and I find them to be like you know. Very, very uh, sometimes like you know, illuminating on subjects I don't really know much about. Um, you know, especially stuff that he's done uh, in the Middle East um, and earlier films and stuff. But I hear that he's quite intense and that it's quite a sort of a disciplined set. It is. It is. He has he has a real passion for the projects that he chooses, um, which is great. You know, and and uh, dives in with you know uh, a, a bit of that passion and expects you know the 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 crew around him to, to kind of, uh, you know, get involved with that as well. And, and it's, it's an experience that, uh, intense is a good way to put it because, you know, there's, there's a real kind of, uh, trust involved in, in this kind of shooting, which is, you know, he, he, he'll come to a set and, 
and Will will have done prep and, you know, everything will be ready. But honestly, he, he surrounds himself with, with kind of a list, uh, uh, department people, you know? So again, he can kind of give that trust out there and know that when he walks onto the set, uh, it'll be ready to go. And, and then we can start, you know, uh, making these decisions uh, right down to the point of, of kind of having some really great, uh, camera operators, you know, that he, he stages the action and, and kind of walks everyone through it. And, and then he kind of trusts people to, to, to go and capture it. I mean, films like Kingdom and uh, Lone Survivor and now Deepwater Horizon, these are all fairly serious subject matters. And in particular, this one, you know, you talked about it being intense. And it's intense, I guess, not least of which because of the subject matter and people that actually perished in this uh, real life uh, accident. But also, I can't imagine that, you know, this amount of explosion, this amount of stuff made for a particularly easy set in terms of just safety. And so just taking things pretty seriously on set seems like a good idea. Yeah, no, and it was, it was, it was very uh, rigorously, you know, controlled and, you know, everywhere you look, there was, there was, you know, potential uh, danger. So everyone had to be focused uh, at all times, uh, you know, n- not the least of which is the fact that you're, you know, 60 feet in the air for a lot of it uh, uh, over a parking lot, you know, that's filled with a, a, a water tank. Um, and then the fact that, you know, in addition to that, there's, there's pyro going off, uh, around you. There's, you know, whenever there's pyro, you have to actually have, uh, hydraulics to, to, to pipe enough water up there to, um, you know, to, to be kind of safety conscious in that regard as well. You know, it, there were hot parts of the set everywhere that you had to, you had to know about, you, you had to, uh, every day, you know, you start the day with a, a pretty extensive, uh, safety meeting. Uh, and then, you know, every take, you know, you have to wait for the all clear before anyone moves. It, it becomes a, um, a bit of a ritual and a bit of, you know, once you get into it and you, you understand the constraints around it, um, you know, it, everyone kind of falls in line and, and it, it begets, you know, to where everybody can kind of get down to work. But, uh, certainly, um, a difficult shooting environment to get your head around as far as flexibility goes. You know, everything has to be kind of planned out ahead of time, and and there's there's no real there's no real room for you know, uh, for example, uh, last minute changes. You know, oh well, you know, we need to actually fly in a green screen behind this explosion because now we're looking at you know in this direction. We're doing a 360 camera move around it. You kind of have to let all that go, you know, um, because when there's this much uh, kind of danger and and you know all this in combination of, of it being night shoots, you know, extensive night shoots. Um, it just means that that kind of flexibility uh, uh, is, is not uh, something that you can count on. So let's just discuss the, uh, the setup. So um, you mentioned it just briefly then, but <clears throat> there wasn't a huge rig kind of thing built. So this wasn't, you know, like sort of six or eight guys on a soundstage and the whole thing's green screen. This was a massive actual physical build. Do you want to describe that? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, it's massive is a good way to put it. It's, um, it's, it's basically 30,000 tons of, of steel set that was built and constructed from, from the ground up, um, in a parking lot in New Orleans. So there's a, there's an abandoned, uh, Six Flags amusement park out there. Uh, and it's basically a swamp 
and there's a giant parking lot and that's where they filmed, you know, stuff like Jurassic world. Um, <clears throat> but what they did is they decided that they wanted to build, uh, an 85% scale representation of the rig because there, there wasn't a rig in the world that we'd be able to go and shoot on. Um, which was, you know, of course the, the desired, you know, location, but, uh, that wasn't going to happen. So they decided to build this 85% scale, uh, steel structure and, and put it 60 feet off the ground. Um, and that took, you know, uh, that had started before I ever got involved with the project. It took basically eight months uh, of construction to build. And what you end up with is uh, a very good representation of the front section of the rig. Uh, so you have what's called uh, the helideck uh, where you land helicopters. And under that's, under that's the bridge, which we had a shell to that. And then you, you get basically the first walking strip uh, on the front um, bow of the rig. And that includes a uh, lifeboat deck the, uh, uh, where the lifeboats are, are lowered, which was a main, you know, uh, a lot of action would be taking place there. There's, there's the ROV, uh, deck, which is just opposite the bridge. Um, so you get, you get a path of kind of, uh, visible set that is dressed absolutely like, uh, a real rig would be, uh, with working lifeboats, you know, that you could lower into a, five foot water tank, you know, that, uh, was a giant water tank. Um, and basically it, it held 2 million gallons of water. So it's five um, feet deep, you're saying? Five feet deep? Yes. Five, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's not, so, that's not a safety depth though. I mean, if somebody fell, that would be fatal. That's like a, so. Yes. This, yeah. Uh, no, that, that's, yeah, that's not a safe, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't put there for, you know, it was put there for, for the visual, not yeah. for the safety. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So even with this hugely wide but shallow water underneath you, presumably the height let you sort of film up into blue sky a lot of the time. But anything that wasn't sort of up was still going to shoot off that water pretty quickly, unless you were shooting straight down. I imagine. Yeah, no. Most most things did shoot off the off the water tank, you know. And uh, and even then, I mean, even if you were if you were into the water tank. Uh, any amount of camera move, you know, basically broke the, broke the edge of the tank. And given all that, it was still water tank water. You know, it, it, uh, it wasn't ocean water. Um, we had, uh, wave makers that could, could kind of churn up the water, uh, a bit, but, um, still you don't get the, the feel of the current that you do in the ocean. You don't get the, the kind of expanse. Um, but there was, you know, you could shoot down. And, and basically you could, you could shoot up into, into the sky and there were, I don't believe there were really many instances where, you know, we were limited to things that would stay on camera though. I mean, basically everything required some kind of extension. Yeah. Sounds like it. Now you could actually land real helicopters on this pad though, couldn't you? So there was, I guess that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was, that was mighty impressive. They, uh, they did, they brought this, uh, you know, one of the biggest helicopters I've ever seen. It's a Sikorsky um, helicopter, which is really the transport helicopters that they take out to the rigs, uh, and landed it on this uh, on this set construction piece, uh, which was really impressive. And, you know, the one of the problems there becomes uh, that the constructed set was still an 85% representation, and the helicopters 
you know, a, a, a real hundred percent scale. So, um, there was, you know, a, one shot that's the big kind of uh, wraparound shot of the rig to kind of really give you a good look at the rig that, uh, the fact that it's a, a full scale helicopter, um, flying in kind of makes the rig look small, which is kind of the opposite you. of what you want. Yeah. 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 Out in the middle of this uh, ocean where you have no reference to scale, you know, if the helicopter is really the only scale you have, that's, that's kind of counterproductive. Um, so we did end up having to, to basically, uh, rotor that helicopter out and, and kind of rescale the image imagery of the helicopter to, to fit the, the scale of the rig. Now, the other thing, of course, is the rig itself, the thing we're describing is sort of this structure that goes up that has a helipad on it, um, but it has no height above that. And in, of course, the real one, there's this massive sort of, um, I'm going to describe it almost as like a pyramid type uh, Eiffel Tower looking kind of structure that goes up above it. And that, that plays strongly because that's obviously where the flames shoot up and the explosions take place and stuff. So clearly there was a lot right. of digital work to be done. At what point was it just easy to replace the whole thing because connecting the digital to the real was sort of difficult? I mean, did, yeah. if you yeah. had, to, if you had a, a sequel, which you'd never have a sequel, would you do it the same way in an ideal world or not? <laughs> um, honestly, I would do it the same way. I just probably wouldn't build it. Um, you know, I think that uh, the way they did it, uh, they got a lot of production value out of it. And, and you know, certainly our uh, philosophy and, and kind of my philosophy is to use as much photograph material as possible, you know. So, um, we but am I hearing from you that if length. you were going to build an 85 feet across thing, that you'd have next time build it just 100 and make it one to one scale? Uh, I would. And, yeah. you know, I'd maybe put it, maybe put it. 10 feet off the ground or, you know, not even that really, but, um, you know, uh, the, the, the things about, you know, having the set built the way it was, was there is a lot of up and down, you know, there's a lot of following the lifeboats down, which is all, you know, great value in, in what was built. Um, there's a lot of looking down onto, you know, onto fire, which, you know, the, the water tank had, uh, liquid propane, um, tubes, you know, filtered through it so that, uh, we could actually have fire on the, on the water, you know, even, even that, I mean, whenever you go to, to movie set fire, it, it does become very, you know, it's, it's the safe looking fire, uh, which we had to, to kind of dress over anyway. Cause but that's the thing that like getting, people assume that it's a flame fireball but there are very different characteristics to those flame balls based on the material that's causing the the fire right so the the presumably crude uh that was uh, and gas that was coming out of the actual uh, deep water horizon may have produced a different color or a different property than propane would yeah absolutely completely different you know um the crude the the, the real kind of crude oil fires uh are kind of the nastiest looking uh fires you've ever seen they're very black know, and, and they're very black, very contrasty, very full of, uh, of, of harmful material, you know, that, that is being burned. And, and it's just not something you can put people around. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not smart and it's not legal, <laughs> you know. So, um, so everything on the rig that burns has to be, you know, this, this kind of uh, clean burning propane, uh, which is a completely different look. And honestly, you know, it has to be from very controlled, uh, sources. Yeah. So, so it's, 
honestly, you know, the, the, the continuous fire that's on the set, uh, gets replaced. It's used basically for interactive light and, and another, you know, huge value of, of having it. And even of having this rig set 60 feet off the ground, it really puts the actors in the environment. You know, mm. uh, there's, there's so much value in a story like this, which is, you know, at, at the heart of it, it's, it's, it's a story about the people and even the way it's filmed, it's, it's kind of following the people in very kind of close proximity. It's, it's a lot of, uh, tight handheld shots, uh, kind of experiencing the chaos with them and to ask people to do that, you know, in a, in a blue screen box is, is it's just going to be impossible for them to, to really get the, you know, the flavor of the chaos and, and, everything. But if you get out there on the rig and you know, you feel like you're trapped, you know, 60 feet in the air, you, you have to go through, you know, a routine to even get up on the platform every day. Uh, and, and you can actually see fire and feel the heat from fire, even if it's propane fire. Um, uh, you know, it goes a long way to, to help these actors get in the, get in the environment. Yeah. I mean, talking about the environment work for a second, it felt like the beginning was very expansive, very open to give a good sense of how isolated the rig was away from the mainland, which, you know, isn't immediately obvious to someone like me that's on the other side of the world. Um, I mean, I knew it was out there, but like, you know, it clearly was miles from everywhere. Um, and then it also felt big at the end when we were sort of seeing the scale of the, of the fire, but in the middle, it was actually quite claustrophobically interior stuff it's not like they build these oil rigs with big sort of panoramic windows and lots of you know vista <laughs> views it's like corridors and down in machine rooms right. and stuff and a lot of that obviously is studio work but it, is that right like most of that environment work was the beginning at the end of the film uh, so it felt like it sort of bookended it yeah yeah and that's you know that's very uh, purposeful you know the 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 arrival is is really to again to put you out in isolation you know, to, to let you know, there's really nowhere for these guys to go. Um, once things start going wrong and to see like, uh, honestly, you know, what it takes to be, uh, an oil rig worker, you know, I mean, you, it gives, it through the whole story of, uh, you know, these guys are out there for three weeks, four weeks at a time, uh, on this isolated little Island, you know, where they're depending on the people around them. You know, because if a disaster happens, uh, as the story tells you, there's really nowhere to go. Um, so you kind of have to set that story up early um, and show the isolation. And then it becomes uh, uh, an understanding of what these guys do day to day and and how just how utilitarian the the environment is there. Um, you know, it, it, like you say, it's very claustrophobic. It's 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 almost, you know, you get the, the similar feeling to to, to being on, you know, a battleship or a submarine or something like that, where, you know, very clo enclosed spaces, uh, a lot of kind of disorienting, um, pathways, uh, everywhere you look, you know, uh, potential danger, you know, if things did go wrong. And then of course, when things do go wrong, you kind of use that chaos, um, uh, and to, to tell the story of, again, of, of these guys being trapped. You know, and then again, when you come to the end and then you see the, the, the survivors that did get off and you look back, it kind of gets you back into that idea of they were trapped there. You know, this is, this is an isolated thing. That's just a ball of fire. 
and it's a miracle anyone ever got off. Yeah. So leaving aside for a second, I'll come back to it, the flames and the actual rig and the kind of um, superstructure enhancement. There are some obvious areas that had to be fully CG, not least of which is you've got this kind of abyss diving sequence at the beginning. So you've got all the stuff about what's going on, on the, at the floor of the um, ocean floor. And that is a recurring thing that uh, we check back on as things develop. But then there's also the fact that I didn't know this, that the rig is effectively a ship and it's just got giant propellers that are maintaining it. And so there must have been a, a serious component that's just 100% CG. Were you, did you get started on that before principal photography or was that all that sort of extra fully CG stuff, again, just done after principal photography? No, I mean, that was, that was, it was started, uh, you know, kind of uh, while principal photography was going on, but uh, it, it really didn't ramp up until after principal photography was done. You know, uh, all that stuff and all that stuff down there, you know, the, um, the, the whole bottom of the ocean, uh, the BOP, which is the blowout preventer, which is kind of critical to the story. It kind of sets up, you know, where things start going wrong. And then it's, it's kind of used as this, uh, uh, cut away to, to keep the tension going. You know, it's, it's, uh, and Pete always talked about it as, you know, that's the door that's keeping the monster out, Yeah. you know, in this kind of a uh, horror movie, uh, analogy. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a vehicle to, to maintain tension and to, to, um, kind of also, uh, give you, you know, a bit, a bit of insight into, you know, there's these rig workers that are 5,000 feet, feet above the ocean floor that are depending on this, you know, 60 feet piece of machinery that's, that's kind of at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and they don't have great visibility, you know, other than, you know, uh, a lot of mechanics and, and electronics of, of what's going on down there. Um, there's a, there's a trust factor that they have to have, you know, that, that things are, are being monitored correctly, that, the, you know, uh, that, that all the sensors are working. There's, there's just a lot of risk involved with being out there. And I think that's part of the story. Um, so there's, yeah, there's all that that's all, all CG, but it, it kind of, the, the good thing about that stuff is that, um, you know, there's just great reference, uh, not necessarily of the mechanics of it or of the event, but of, of exploration of the bottom of the ocean, you know, and of, uh, uh, underwater photography. You can, you can find so much there to, to pull from. And, uh, also, you know, it's, it's optics underwater are, are kind of a, uh, a, a mathematical, <laughs> I was about to go there because I was going to say, if we could just switch to the mechanics of making it now, I was going to start with lighting. I mean, in the beginning of the film, there's a deep probe that goes down that lights down there. But uh, other than that, all the underwater stuff, including stuff showing me that I didn't know about the the engine of the and the blades of the repeller that are keeping this thing stabilized, like none of that would be visible, right? Like, I mean, it wouldn't be visible because of depth and it wouldn't be visible because it was at night and it wouldn't be visible full stop. So I guess there's, that's exactly. a cheat, but then there's also how do you light the set um, because the contrast ratio at night between these fireballs and the people, I mean, was there a kind of a rule of thumb that you took as a supervisor on sort of how far you could take things before the audience would kind of go, hang on a second, why is, where's the light coming from? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it was a constant discussion, you know, and, and, the good thing about um, the good thing about Pete is that you know he's an audience member, 
basically. And he just wants the he wants the raw feelings of the audience, right? He he, he doesn't want to um, he, he doesn't he doesn't care about you know what uh, what it what it takes to get the image. You know he doesn't he doesn't really want to discuss um, what the reality of the situation would be there. Um, he as an audience member knows you know what he needs to get out of the out of the shot and um and would it end at the part where it would start to break for an audience member you know so it's he's he's good at at kind of brushing aside you know a lot of the discussions of well pete there's no not really any light down there so you know we don't want to make it uh, we don't want to give it, give it a sourcey light we don't want to give it a directional light you know we can't give it a top light because it looks like it's shallow in the water you know it's it's really just um find a way to tell a story and, and not take me out of, uh, out of the fact that we're, you know, 5,000 feet underwater. Easier said than done. Um, it is actually, but, isn't it? Because it really can't feel shallow, yet it can't feel right. like there's somebody there. It can't feel like a spotlight. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it needs to be. And, and the other good thing about movies like this is that, uh, you know, there's a real documentary feel to it. Um, and you can study documentaries and, and, you know, with documentaries, you can use things like uh, ring lights around the camera, you know, to, to give you, uh, it, it's a constant discussion of how would this be filmed if you yeah, were going to do it for but real. Some of these shots for maybe people uh, either haven't seen or, or, or forget, I mean, I had to sort of remind myself, you're, you're creating shots inside pipes of safety stuff, yeah. right? And, and you have to yeah, do it without a, yeah. a subtitle explanation to the audience of, hey, notice this stuff here, that's bad. This shaking, not yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of, you know, uh, exploration and chat, you know. It's, it's a lot of uh, uh, research into, you know, again, uh, the discussion of how would you shoot this, you know. And having, you know, being at a, a, a facility that, had its own miniature shops and, and did a lot of practical effects, you know, in the old days ourselves, uh, we do have a little bit of understanding of, you know, if we were to go to our old facility and, and want to do a, you know, element shoot of this, you know, you'd get a giant pipe and, and you'd, you'd get enough pressure to, to blow mud through it and you'd, you'd use a lipstick camera and, you know, uh, you'd, you'd snake it through the pipe. And it does, see what that got you. It does add visual authenticity when it looks like a not very good lens on a lipstick camera or a very wide angle kind of GoPro-y cheapo kind of thing. Not that GoPros are cheap, you know what I mean? Rather than like yeah. a beautiful Panavision kind of shot of mud. Um, right. It had this right. sort of and pseudo we went down, real feel. Yeah. We went down both roads, you know, both paths. And, and clearly the, uh, um, you know, the beautiful Panavision uh shot where you know you really kind of have to open up the space to an unrealistic uh um you know uh feel it doesn't give you it doesn't give you the kind of visceral reaction that you want and so uh we were able to again kind of go through mountains of kind of reference footage uh it's a good thing about the internet you know you can you can search for anything um and especially stuff like you know the oil industry uh, is very well documented in itself, you know, not necessarily offshore, but, um, you know, the, the idea of, of 
drilling pipes and, you know, there's, there's, uh, mechanics to how they get cleaned. There's mechanics to how they get inspected. That is, that you can find reference to. So this is some of this is based on some of that reference and uh, you know following a, a, a an inspection down a pipe. And right. so you get you get that kind of visual uh, acumen of again kind of a not so great lens, you know, with uh, kind of artifacts everywhere. You get the real kind of uh, um, drastic, uh, contrast of, of having low bit depth, you know, in your imagery. And, uh, it, it does, it does add that authenticity that, that we needed to kind of keep you in the story. So let's get up on top of the deck now. So what about the lighting up there? Is that again, um, uh, or is there enough bounce from the surfaces to give sort of natural elimination from these fireballs or were you having to cheat a lot of light into, to let me actually understand what's going on as an audience member? Um, yeah, up on up on the surface, uh, you know, Enrique Chidiak, the uh, the DP, um, you know, he was very pro uh, documentary style as well. So what we end up with is you know allowing things to go into darkness, you know, where it where it really would, and that's there's a huge value to that, and uh, in, a, in a, um, a story like this, you know, where it is kind of a horror movie kind of moment and. Uh, you you do need to feel the heat of the fire to not try to force too much light into it is, is the key because then it does become, you know, it, it, things just start to look false. There's a certain understanding that most people have of, of the brightness of fire and, and kind of the, the darkness of dark, you know? Um, and that was the other kind of real value of having the practical effects out there was that you were able to, you know, he was able to actually expose for uh, natural fire. Right. Because you, you were shooting and, on and Alexa, right? You were shooting Ari Roar? Yes. Yes. Which has exactly. good dynamic range, but nothing like what you're going to get between pitch black and high explosion, I imagine. No, not at all. And, you know, so the, the understanding becomes, uh, you know, light for the people, you know, for, for kind of the lowest level of the people. And, uh, you know, uh, at the time it was, the discussion was, you know, let the fire go, um, if you need to. And, and if there are moments where we need to see textural detail in it, you know, we'll replace it. Um, there seemed to be some really good and, use of sort of silhouetting. Like there were times where I was reading stuff and I didn't need to see anything but sort of stuff between me and the fire to understand what was going on. That must have been a useful tool for you as well. Just the, you know, the sense that you sort of sort of a silhouette, a backlight of um, of action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and and again, that's that's the value of having, you know, some uh, some amount of pyro uh, on the set because you can you can use it as a framing tool, um, and we can use it as as you know, just grab the edges and replace the fire behind it. You know, you still get. Um, you still get the same uh, understanding of the relationship. But there was a bunch of green screen on set. I know you said you couldn't sort of swing it necessarily for where you needed it on any moment, but there was a bunch yeah. there. Um, and did you have a screen up with sort of projected or reflected? It looked like in some of the footage I saw that there was a, what looked like almost like a fire screen. Ah, uh, there was, yeah. We, um, uh, we utilized uh, basically a, a 30 by 30 LED wall uh -huh. um, 
that was that was basically i think uh you know a rock you know a rock show uh wall um that we piped through uh real fire uh elements through and used it to you know eliminate you know kind of broader areas you know than than where our kind of sourcey uh uh fire would be and that was a huge help you know but uh again it was it wasn't flexible, <laughs> you know, um, once you, once you got it in place, it was there. And, and there were, uh, instances where, you know, filming in new Orleans, uh, new Orleans has, you know, quite strong storms that, that come through, you know, so any amount of wind, uh, meant that we couldn't, we couldn't suspend it from the crane, you know, it had to kind of be dropped onto the set. And then you're kind of at the mercy of, uh, of the cameraman, um, on, ooh, 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 try not to frame against the, the, the giant screen that's in the background, you know, um, but. And that giant LED screen has a whole gaff structure around it. Like it has a metal kind of superstructure around it that doesn't look part of like an oil rig. So if you go anywhere near the edge, you're going to notice it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a, it was a constant thing that we fought, you know, and, and on the rig we had basically, uh, one wall of containers that we put green on. Um, but you know, in, in the end, that's, that's only marginally useful because it's not, it's, it's not like it's a a lit, uh, green screen. Um, you know, because, because you need all this fire, uh, and all the darkness, you want to use the darkness, right? You don't want to have this giant lit, uh, green screen out there. So we had it out mostly for the daytime work, um, it, it stayed there for the nighttime work, but it, like I said, it didn't get lit. So, uh, most everything that, that happens at night requires roto. And then presumably you know, the massive amount of roto. Same thing applies for all the control room stuff in that I imagine that those monitors weren't hot. And so all that stuff in the control rooms required roto to put stuff on the screens. Um, most of those screens were hot actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was a separate uh, interior set that we uh, that we shot on that we were able to. Uh, the art department was actually able to uh, rig up. You know, either um, either backlit. You know, transparencies or or kind of real live monitors that that worked well. You know, the the few that they interacted with. You know, of course, were were replaced, but uh, quite a bit of it was was done for real and, and actually out the windows, um, the daytime stuff out the windows of that and, uh, the boat bridge, uh, was done by, uh, basically, a, a backing, you know, a printed backing. So all those kind of daytime, uh, sky and, and water, uh, out the, out the bridges were, uh, a translite. So we've been talking about the, um, the, the fire and of course the rigging stuff, which, um, but you must have done some digital double work as well, because apart from anything else, the when they jump off into the water, we've already established that there's only five feet of water at the bottom, so you couldn't possibly hit the water. But you actually had guys jumping off on wires, right? So did yeah. you do digital yeah. takeover so or? We did, we did, but really it was just for uh, just for the Mark Wahlberg jump moment, right? Um, we're yeah, we were able to for. The other ones, you know, you see, you see one guy that's on fire kind of tumble, uh, and hit, uh, one of the, um, lifeboats or not the lifeboat, but the, uh, um, inflatable, uh, safety boat. And that's a real stunt guy. 
um, doing it. And you, you know, it's, it's shot and cut in a way that, uh, you don't really understand that he's being, uh, decelerated a little bit. Um, then, uh, the Gina Rodriguez, uh, jump moment is the same way. She's, um, her stunt doubles on a wire, but, uh, you know, we kind of, uh, we wrote her out and kind of resped her, you know, kind of did the layout, uh, of what a, a real person, you know, following it, that velocity would be. And, and we kind of add the, the extra motion to it. Um, so we were able to use her element and then the Mark, Mark Wahlberg moment, um, where the camera's following as he jumps. Yeah. We do a digital takeover because we needed to, you know, and the, the reality of, of, shooting something like that is always, um, that you do it as uh, you take it as far as you can. Right. So yeah. <clears throat> we did extensive testing of this and, and, you know, jump after jump after jump of, of putting the cameraman, you know, uh, uh, in a wire rig right after, uh, the stuntman goes and we do, we follow him all the way down to the water, but the, the, the deceleration is that, the deceleration co combined with the deceleration of, of a cameraman, which means that, uh, you know, the framing, you know, becomes a little less, uh, uh, controlled than you'd like. Um, the, the understanding of the deceleration of the water, you know, becomes, um, a little apparent. Right. And that the, you're, you're just not able to, to light for, uh, fire being on the water, you know, um, means that you kind of have to do the takeover, uh, earlier than you would want to. So you're using the sort of standard, um, FizzBam kind of tools and stuff at ILM to, um, to handle all of this, uh, fluid stuff as well as the, uh, flames and stuff. Well, the flames, the flames are all through the, uh, through our plume, plume system. Yep. Um, you know, which is still kind of our go-to for, for anything fire related. Um, you know, the fluid, the fluid is, uh, you know, I'm not completely clear what's left in the FizzBam world, uh, and what, what has been kind of brought out, but, you know, ocean, ocean surfaces were, were more done with, a um, it's less a, a full fluid solve than, you know, kind of a deep water, or, or a, a, a surface solve? A displacement, right. you know, a, a yep. surface displacement. Uh, the the mud, all the mud ejection stuff is <clears throat> is through our fluid tools, but you know it kind of uh, relies more on the the kind of SPH uh, uh, spray splash uh, components than you know uh, some of our other fluid, which is driven from a a volume. Right. Um, so, you know, the, there wasn't a whole lot of the, the full fluid pipeline used, um, just kind of the, the latter components of it. And then the fire, of course, you know, the plume uh, GPU uh, solver is just tremendous, you know, at, at doing this kind of thing. And, and the speed of turnaround that we get means that, that we're able to, to put so much uh, artistic flavor into the development, you know, that you, 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 get to where you need to go quicker than, than you would think. So was there any particular part of the project that you sort of found challenging in the sense of like, I mean, obviously you've been at ILM for, a, for years and years and years and you've done an enormous amount of shows there. I'm not saying that it was 
uh, the hardest show you've ever done. But like, was there any particular part of it that you ended up having to focus on a bit more than perhaps you expected? Uh, you know, I wouldn't say more than I expected. Um, because we kind of knew going into it, uh, what it would be. And it didn't really, it didn't really change too much for us. I mean, the, the challenge was, was and the challenge that we were looking forward to was uh, large scale fire that's continuous sourced. You know, right. it's uh, fires that we've done at ILM, you know, in the past, and you see in a lot of movies is typically, you know, explosion based. Um, you know, there's pyrotechnics and things stay on fire as they, you know, explode and, and get ejected, but it's not a, it's not a real sourced fire that, that needs to, to feel like, you know, uh, uh like it, it's constantly being fed through multiple sources and, and has its own character to it. This was the, the challenge of the movie, you know, to, to, to give this fire enough character that it would, uh, it would play as this kind of horror monster and, uh, and this incredibly dirty horror monster, which is great. You know, I mean, and you're able to use all kinds of that to your advantage, you know, the, the darkness, the, the fact that it's, it kind of encompasses so much of the rig, you know, that, uh, that you don't need to understand specific sources really other than, you know, the main Derek and the fact that the main Derek, you know, is, is engulfed in flame itself, right? You just get the superstructure that kind of peeks out, mm. you know, uh, that lets you know that, that it's in there and that, um, you know, it could collapse at any minute and, and that kind of thing. But really it's, it's a study in, you know, the dynamics of fire, um, it being ejected through this, through this rig. And it's, I mean, it's a, it, it's the challenge that we knew going in and it's the challenge that, you know, we wanted to, to get right. And, and so we spent, you know, the most time on it. So Craig, one of the great things about getting to talk to someone like you is I get to ask questions that <laughs> just have me peaked. So just in finishing, I just wanted to ask you one question because um, Jimmy or Kurt Douglas's, uh, Kurt Russell's character gets blasted yeah. in the shower. And I was just thinking, <laughs> man, that was an impact. And I'm like thinking, was that a stunt guy? Was that rigged up? Was that just all digital? Because it was obviously for the purposes of the drama incredibly important. But I mean, the guy just gets body slammed as the wall of the shower kind of throws him across the room. How on earth did you pull that off? <laughs> that is uh, special effects and stunts. You really? know, that, that was an, an amazing, um, <laughs> amazing setup that they did. Uh, I hope Kurt Russell bought his stunt double violent. a beer that day because that, yeah, it was just, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, and it's also uh, great editing, to be honest with you. I mean, those stunts were insanely violent. And, uh, and the special effects rigs, you know, that kind of blast all the, all the, the, the stuff out is, is really there. I mean, we did not add, you know, of course we had some, but you know, not much at all to that, uh, in visual effects, you know, it's, it's a lot of wire removal and rig removal, uh, and not a lot of, uh, you know, digital double stuff. I don't think there's any digital double stuff in there. Man, stunt guys just don't get enough credit, do they? I mean, here, I want you to stand in the shower no. naked and I'm going to blow this wall at you and have you hurtled across the room in front of all these guys. Yeah, no, that'd be fine. Yeah, I'll put some wires on you to yeah. really yank you. <laughs> right, exactly. We're going we're gonna to make the impact as nasty as we can yeah. and then we'll, uh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get to clean up in a, in a shower and you'll be done. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. And that was one of the, you know, one of the early stunts that we did. So it kind of set, helped set the tone. 
for how violent and how uh, uh, kind of gruesome this would be. Yeah. I mean, I know that stunt guys these days are incredibly well informed about visual effects. And so it's not a, a rivalry or anything like that. It's like a, you know, thing. But obviously when you can get that and it was impactful in camera, um, uh, it must be really good. But yeah, there must have been some serious uh, setting up for that shot because, man, I wouldn't want to be there. Yeah, well, that and honestly, the um, the the stunt work that's on the drill deck uh, when the mud block goes is some other stuff that's just really, really well done, you know, and, and impactful. And, and uh, you know, there's a, a bit of respeeding, you know, here and there for that stuff, but it was really good stunt work. And it helps that, uh, you know, the second unit director, Kevin, Kevin Scott, was a uh, stunt coordinator. Uh, in the past as well so you know he really planned it out well you know with uh with tim our stunt coordinator on on this show and uh they spent a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to get it right well i really enjoyed talking to you about it thanks so much and uh yeah i enjoyed the film a lot it's uh it's a good film it's a bit depressing because you kind of know where it's going and of course the environmental impact of what actually happened um, was pretty nasty but uh, nevertheless it was uh seemed to really serve well I guess the uh, those that that uh, that didn't survive, and also those that were survivors. And so, uh, thanks very much for taking time to talk to us. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was Pete's. That was Pete's thing. You know, it's. Uh, it, he's incredibly uh, appreciative of of you know real world uh, people. You know, and and telling their story the right way is why he takes the project. You know, and and we're we're just you know he knows he knows we're needed for you know a certain amount of it, um, but uh, the story is always the focus. Well, again, thanks so much, and uh, congratulations on the film. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Well, thanks, guys, for that. It's always interesting to dive into detail on uh, some of the stuff behind the scenes uh, that you don't get elsewhere on the net. Uh, that's one reason I, I even I really uh, totally enjoy the FX podcast that we do here at FX Guy. Well, that's it for this week. As always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Uh, if you'd like to support FX Guide, join our FX Insider program. We really appreciate it. Uh, but until next time, for Mike Seymour and Jeff Huser, thanks for listening. Bye. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.